Hey friend, Graham Baldwin here with The Speaker Lab. Hey, wouldn't it be nice if someone gave you the exact process to find and book more speaking gigs in 2024? That'd be nice, right? Well, I'll tell you what, we're just gonna do that for you. We've created a new 18-page guide based on Dan Irvin's process that helped him actually book over $100,000 in speaking gigs in the past year. Now, Dan is one of our uh, team members here. He's this, a very successful speaker and also one of our coaches. And so you're gonna learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, proposal emails, and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps. Again, that's plural, thespeakerlab.com slash steps. We're going to send you that PDF guide right to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps. That's it. That's all you got to do. Go there. Hey, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. You're awesome. Hey, what's up, my friend? Grant Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. Today, we're talking with my good buddy, Noah Kagan. And Noah is a guy that uh, has been around the entrepreneurial space for uh, quite some time. He does a little bit of speaking as well. But he is someone who's actually one of the first employees at Facebook. He worked at Mint. He's built some successful businesses. If you use AppSumo, ever use Sumo Me, Noah is the, uh, the lovely dude behind that. So in today's conversation, we have a, it's a wide-ranging and fun conversation. Noah is just a, a, a fun guy to be around. And so I think you're going to enjoy this. But we talk about how speaking has evolved in his own business and career. We talk about how he learns from the best, both in speaking and entrepreneurship and then just in life in general. We talk about how he's determined what to speak about. We talk about how important it is to use content marketing and, and content creation for online brands. And we also talk about how he gets audiences to take action. Noah is one of the, the best people I know about getting an audience either in a, a speaking setting or even just from a, a podcast or any number of, of venues or, or environments. He's really, really good about getting people people to take action. So if you are all about taking action, you're really going to enjoy this episode with Noah Kagan. Now, before we get into it, let me quickly again remind you, and that if you haven't already, you definitely want to stop by freespeakerworkshop.com, freespeakerworkshop.com. We do free trainings every single week teaching you all about how to find and book paid speaking engagements. So I definitely encourage you to check that out again over at freespeakerworkshop.com. Okay, let's get right into it. Here's my uh, conversation with my buddy Noah Kagan. Enjoy. What's up, my friends? Graham Baldwin here. Hey, today I'm joined by my buddy Noah Kagan in the house. It's the Baldhead Mafia representing. Dude, come on now. We've been, uh, I think we had this scheduled a few weeks ago and then I got sick or something. And I know we've, we've talked about it for a while and uh, excited and honored to uh, have you hanging out with us. How you doing today? I'm in a great mood. You're I feeling woke good. Up. I'm in a great, you know, you. I was telling you, dude, I woke up, I did a little meditation or self-diagnostic on my nice chair over there and uh, I'm having a little Vietnamese coffee. Like I'm, I'm homemade Vietnamese coffee and I'm just in a great mood. Feeling good. Feeling good on life. You know, the, uh, I tell people frequently, uh, if they ask about you, I tell them how we first met. Do you remember that? When we went for the walk to the courthouse? Yeah. So <laughs> I happened to be in town. At, you live in Austin. I was in Austin for a speaking engagement. And I think I tweeted at you a couple days before. You did? And you're like, yeah, yeah swing by and say, hey. So I swing by your office and you're like, hey, I got to <laughs> let's go for a walk, which is kind of your thing. And we've done a lot of walks since then. And I had like a speeding ticket or a parking ticket or something. So our first experience was going to the courthouse for you to pay a ticket. And then do you remember what we did after that? No, I remember the courthouse. I thought we walked back afterwards. Where'd we go? We went to a bank. Do you remember why? Oh, yeah. I had to get $2 bills to give out. You got like $100 in $2 bills because you thought it was cool. Okay. <laughs> think about that though. So I actually think there's an important lesson here for everyone listening. Number one, you made yourself valuable that I wanted to meet with you. Right. And I think a lot of people want to meet people or they want to yeah. speak at events or whatever it is. 
how do you make yourself the hot girl or the hot guy that people would want that? And I think you did a good job of that and saying, Hey, I'm, I'm a speaker. I've done this and that, you know, I'm going to be around if you have 30 minutes, it'd be fun. The second thing is, is that what gets remembered and what gets remembered is not if me and you sat down for coffee and talked, Oh yeah, I'm a speaker. And Oh, I run a software company and I did this. It's like, but because we did something a little out of the ordinary, right? people remember it, right? Like we remember the bank, you remember the the courthouse or like your last speech, one of your speeches, you, you filled a cup with water. Yeah. You right. used a prop yeah. and I, I can almost not remember your whole thing, but I remember the water part. Yep. Yep. And I was like, yeah, it's interesting. You know why? Cause it's not something that I'm normally used to or I'm expecting. So I, this is something interesting to think about as you're doing speeches in general. And we did a long walk before that talk too. Yeah. We went for the, uh, see, I don't remember as much of that. I know it was in San Diego and we did along the pier and then we had we did breakfast that one and the then we did a, Yeah. Anyway, all of our walks. So, okay. So for people who aren't familiar with you, give us a quick nutshell. And I think more importantly, I mean, you've got your hand in several things. I don't know when people think of Noah who are familiar with you that they think, oh yeah, Noah's a speaker, but you do some speaking. So I'm curious how, give us a nutshell of, of your business, what it looks like, what you're involved in, then sure. how speaking fits into everything. Yeah. We're just business wise. I mean, personal wise, I'm into mountain biking. I'm 35. I'm seeing someone. I live in Austin, Texas. It's beautiful. You like tacos. <laughs> I do eat a lot of tacos. Uh, I've been on a fast for 72 hours. I just broke it last night. Wow. I don't know if you've done fasting, but it, there's really interesting uh, science behind it. And I think it's going to be a new trend, but that, that is a whole nother thing. And in business, I've worked at some well-known companies like Intel, Microsoft. I was one of the first people at Facebook and mint.com. And I've gone on to start AppSumo.com, which is a group on for geeks, uh, and Sumo.com, which are free tools to grow your email list. And that company is an eight-figure business, which is pretty cool. We're bootstrapped. Yeah. Congrats. Thank you, dude. Yeah, we're only t- it only takes seven years. And uh, <laughs> one, it's just one million a year. And then uh, my hobby and my passion and, and what I'm really excited about is I've been creating content on Noah Kagan Presents podcast uh, and my Noah Kagan YouTube channel and then okdork.com, which is the blog that kind of... Uh, so people like different dishes. Some like video, some like audio, some want the text. And so I've been just excited about making a lot of that content lately. Uh, and speaking fits in a lot of that. You know, I've been speaking actively probably 10 years. I've been paid for some, but not paid for others. And it's something I, I love doing. And so it's been an interesting evolution of how my speaking preferences have changed over the years too. What was it like, like how many, like for some context, how many speaking engagements will you do? Like, have you done in the past 12 months? So in the past 12 months, I've done two. Okay. Is it, and then, are you wanting to do that many? Are you wanting to do more or? No, I, I'm intentionally only doing two. Okay. And I would say in previous years, I would just kind of do whatever came and yeah. I'd be like, oh, you'll, you'll take me? Sure. Oh, you'll, you know, and I kind of made up a criteria of, I think around three things in the past, which was like, A, are there going to be other speakers or attendees that I want to meet? B, is it a location that I want to go to? And C, am I just going to get paid a stupid amount of money? And one thing is you become a more successful speaker as you speak more often. Oh, Alexa's talking back to me. Do you have an Amazon Echo, by the way? I don't. But Dude, I'm going to get you one. One, I'm going to order a few. It's the game changer. It's seriously life-changing. Once I don't you get it. understand. I don't understand the point. Alexa, like- Alexa, should Grant get one of you? Yes, I think so. Anyways, I'll get it. It'll change everything for you. It's one of these things where once you have it, you're like, how did I, it's like your wife, like, how did I live before her? And now life's better with it. <laughs> All right. So yeah. So these speaking things, man, I would, I would do a bunch of them and you know, it's kind of changed over time with more like at some point people are like, Hey, you want to come speak? I'm like, well, to speak is actually like, there's a lot of time and energy that goes into it. And so I have to, you, I think what you have to do at some point is evaluate what are your other opportunity costs? What yeah. else could you be doing with that time? And 
if it's a flight now or they'll pay for me to go somewhere, I'm like, well, I could afford it myself and I don't have to spend a month getting a, a great speech ready. A speech, if you're trying to do a great speech, that's going to take you a lot of time to get ready. So what's the win for you in speaking today? Because if, if you've got other businesses going on, you've got a busy life, why, why spend several weeks or a month working on a talk and getting on a plane and leaving? And like, why spend that much time giving a, a speech? Why, why do speaking at all for you? So I'm not. I know that your audience is like, well, I'm just going to zone out from this guy. And it's not about that. I think you're speaking, you need to evolve and prioritize what's really important. So here's two kind of concepts that I've started evolving to is that instead of going out and speaking, I can make a YouTube video of the same exact speech and reach more people, which is more of my goal than actually going to an audience and, and doing it in person. So that's number one, where like, I've already said the content, I can put it out there and more people now are affected. Secondly, I generally now I'm just creating less speeches. So Jason Cohen taught me this. He creates one speech and yep. that's all he does. And I was like, man, you're speaking. Cause I saw his speech and I was like, dude, that was a game changing speech. He's like, yep, I just do one speech and I make it epic and I don't do any other ones. And I thought that was really compelling as well as uh, Jason Fried. I think in one of the podcast episodes on no King presents, he gave me the idea. He's like, I only do Q and A's now. Mm-hmm. He does Q and A speeches or he does improv. And if you're just starting out, like go practice locally and, and build up to that point. But he says, well, and I have offered this to people. I'm like, Hey, I'll come speak. Cause I want to go to Portugal. There was an event recently and I'll just do a Q and A though. I don't want to come up with the speech. He's like, no, I want you to come up with a custom speech. And what I'm getting from it is like, I get a thousand dollar flight, a hotel, and I have to spend, you know, three to four weeks making a speech that will be epic. And I was like, well, for a thousand dollars plus to only reach 200 people, it doesn't really seem worth it. Mm-hmm. I will say on the contrast, historically, I have, I've had a lot of people if, in terms of business. If you're trying to run like a software company, I've had people like, dude, I saw your speech. And you just kind of don't realize that like, yeah, it's a lot more connected than just someone watching you on YouTube. So it does impact business, but I think you just kind of have to evolve and like iter- and like ask yourself as you're doing speeches, like, what is my goal and how is this speech really helping me or these speaking gigs helping me towards that goal or not? Right. And you, I mean, you kind of touched on something there that you could do a video or a blog post or a podcast and maybe have a similar effect, but there, you're right that there is something, there is the value in terms of being in a room with that audience, with being in person. So in the same way that you and I may be you know, multiple states apart right now, but the dynamic of our relationship has evolved and changed because we've hung out in person. And you just don't Completely. get that from Completely. a reading a blog post or watching a video. The other thing I think speaking well, has been really helpful for, and, and I know you've talked about this, is that I remember you talked with Jason Fried about this, is that when you are putting out a blog post or a podcast or a video, you put it out there and you may get like some anecdotal evidence of comment. That was really cool. I like that. Great episode but you don't actually see people's faces as they are listening or as they are reading or as they are watching. Whereas whenever you're speaking, remember Jason Fried said, when they, when they do one of their workshops, which on paper doesn't make sense for them to do, they do it because they're able to see that live in-person reaction of like this clicked, this doesn't make sense. I'm confusing them there. We lost them here. So have you found that to be beneficial in terms of in-person speaking, shaping some of the online content that you do? Oh, completely. A lot of the times I think what I would encourage speakers to do, and and this is what I've been thinking about a lot recently is think about when you're talking to someone at lunch or in passing or what, what stuff is, is that getting that like reaction? So last night I was talking about, we put out in this AppSumo video on, on uh, YouTube on the Noah Kagan channel. And and he was asking me, he's like, so when you're speaking or you're making videos in general, like what do you notice are the, the impactful things that people respond to? And I, it was, it's actually two things. It's one, you want the audience to say, I didn't know that. You want the audience to be like, oh, I didn't think about that. I didn't know that. And secondly, you want them to be able to take away something that they can do that day so they can actually get a result. 
And, and that's kind of what I've kind of based a lot of when I speak around to do, just kind of like focusing on those two things. I think the other thing is you grow as a speaker. It's like, how do you optimize for your goals, right? So if you want to speak, and, and I love speaking, it's, I think you have to think about what do you do that gives you a lot of energy? And for me, being on stage gives me a shoot ton of energy. But six months of planning for it and thinking about it and reviewing it and editing it and so forth, which I think if you're trying to make a great speech, and I want to hone that point home, and I'm sure you've told them this too, Grant, it's like, it's going to take you a lot of time. Yeah. Yeah. That takes a lot of energy that I could be using towards other things, not being a, a professional speaker. Right. And right. so it's like, well, a few things. One, am I speaking because it's my ego and I just want to be heard? Or do I think it really shares a message that I want to put out in the world? And two, are there other ways I can do it without having to add so much travel? I think one of the advice I give for a lot of your speaker listeners, all of them out there, is that you should be charging probably double whatever it is. And I hate when people give me advice about raising prices. But what I've realized is that like most people don't say when you're getting paid 10000 for a speech that it's three days of your life plus the three months that you're planning for it. They're only seeing the hour that you're on stage. But you're like, that doesn't include everything else that I had to do to get to this point. Right. And, and lastly, I would say, how do you just bring people to you? So do speeches, but maybe for me, it's like I'll do speeches if it's in Austin and it's convenient. Right. Or anywhere in Texas that you might be willing to travel to. God, like FinCon. <laughs> so, okay. I'm curious on this. So I would totally agree with what you said that, uh, that Jason uh, Cohen had told you before that the best speakers in the world, they don't do custom talks. I have one talk that I give and that talk is extremely good. So like, for example, when you saw me speak, the reason that talk went pretty well is because most of that I had done many, many times before and I knew that content. So for you, when you're coming up with a new talk, with a new presentation, and you're sitting down staring at a blank screen, I'm curious what your process is for creating a talk. Because you said, I, I mean, it takes weeks, months to put together. What does that process look like? I'm thinking about, so I did two talks recently. And one was at FinCon and the other one was, I think, oh, 212. But so at FinCon, uh, I had a year to think about the title. And I think the main thing that I do when I think about my speech is like, what do I want the, the audience to think about when they walk out of the room? Like, what is the takeaway that they're going to walk out of the room and be like, damn, that was hella good. Right? Like, let me, I'm going to go look up the FinCon speech. So I started with that. Like, okay, what do I want them to walk out of the room with? And then the second thing I started thinking is like, what's the title that's going to really compel them? And so I thought with FinCon, I was like, I think a speech that would be really wild is like, that people probably think I'm kind of rich or something. I was like, what if I just showed them all my money? So I was like, all right, that's the starting title. Right. And, and what you just did is what I want. And this is kind of a, a nuance, but what I want is a reaction. I'm not trying to be offensive. I'm not trying to be extreme, but I want people to be like, no, oh, what is that? That's weird. I want that emotional kind of like gesture to some extent. And so when I, a lot of times just take notes and I'll practice like, Hey, what do you think of this title? So I, I kind of bounced the title off a few people. And what I came to the conclusion after a few months and I thought about it, I didn't write anything down was that that speech was all about me, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So the speech was entirely selfish. And you have to think about when you're speaking, it's not about you, right? It's everybody out there has got their own problems and hopes and dreams and fears and all that other good stuff. And so you have to work backwards from how do you make it all about them? And so then I was like, well, just showing my money is not really interesting. It's just like, okay, Noah's rich and here's where all of his money is. Like, who cares about that? And so then I was like, well, how do you actually get rich? Like, how do you actually make a million dollars? Because I have a million dollars. And it's not as a bragging thing. I'm just, I, I made it over a long time. And it's like, well, how did I get there? And how can I share lessons that people can do? And so then I, I try to create kind of like a framework of thought. One thing that I think I'm bad at that I would encourage others is I think I create too many slides and I give away too many ideas. Brendan Bouchard, and this is a recommendation I give for anybody. 
go on YouTube. It's this great site. You guys all love it. And look up any speaker or comedian and just every day at lunch for the next five days, watch them. And you will take notes. So this is what I've been doing. Like I've been watching Rodney Dangerfield. And he does a Rodney Dangerfield. He uh, does this little shake thing. It's like <laughs> no respect here. No respect. And you start taking nuances. So like Brandon Bouchard is a really impressive speaker. And so the things I'd look for is like, what things do other speakers do that I can then think of for myself? And so one thing that I'm working on is how do I give away less ideas? So like three ideas max, but those ideas are concrete. Like you walk away and you're like, I am not forgetting those three ideas because he just can't, he wouldn't shut the hell up about it. Mm -hmm. And so with like the million dollar one, it was like how to get started, how to make money, how to grow your money or something like that to that extent. And then it was flushing out kind of the framework around that. I think the two things that I've evolved with with my speeches that I'm happy about, I'm really proud of, is that I've actually invested in design. And this is kind of one I never cared about. I literally would just go on Google, search like taco and just throw up a taco. And then I would search like friends hugging and I'd put up a friends hugging thing. And I realized that like when you dress better or you invest in like something nicer, like the audience takes you seriously. So I invest now and anytime I'm doing a speech, which is not as often, but I'm like, those slides look damn good. And I spend like $1,000 to do it because it, it leaves a better impact. The second thing that I've evolved with on, on as I'm doing speeches, and I used to never do this. I'd literally make the slides and then I'd be like, all right, good. I'm a one hit wonder. I don't ever practice it. I don't ever need to record it. And I've changed that completely. So now when I then did the FinCon like million dollar speech or I did SumoCon, I did another speech. I practiced it a bunch and I went over it with people that were not nice to me. So you got to be around people that gen like think about the person whenever you show them something, they always tell you ways to make it better. And it's not mean like Anton is one of my best friends. And like even last night, he's like, hey, that YouTube video you made sucked. And I'm like, yeah, tell me more. Why did it suck? And he's like, well, it sucked because this was part was off. And I was, I was like, okay, great. Let me go fix it. And so I think the thing that I've gotten better at and it has really helped me hone my craft and become a master at my crafts you know, it's always a work in progress is that I just practice it a lot more like record yourself. And a lot of people, I, I didn't want to do it. I don't want to hear my voice or see my face or, you know, I just wanted to be great the first time and nothing is ever great the first time. So what does it look wanted, like, like behind the scenes for you when you're, cause I think a lot of people say that like, Oh yeah, you just need to practice more or rehearse more. Like yeah. what, like what yeah, do what you actually exactly. do? So I record the whole speech and then I watch the whole speech and then I also have someone else. So like with this FinCon speech or SumoCon speech, I had Anton and Eamon. I went through the speech. I recorded it. And they were there. Then they gave me their feedback. You got a debrief. Then I updated everything again. And then I did it again with them. Just like and then your, they were like, you're just like recording it at your house. Uh, we just did it in a room. Yeah. Okay. It was nothing fancy. It was like, I had it recorded. They were both there. I did it. I got their feedback. I watched it, combined all that, re-edited the slides, re-edited my outline, did it again. They were like, it's great. Went on stage and killed it. And I hate when people say killed it. I think it was very fun. And I think the audience really enjoyed it. Because for me, my goal is that like, I don't, I'm not on stage to just hear my voice. Like I can just stay at home and do that. Like I'm on stage to leave an impact where they walk out that door and something about their life has changed. And so for me, I think with my speech is why people, I, I like them. You know, I think here's a few things about it. If you have fun with it, the audience has fun with it. Totally. And I'm upstage. I'm like, man, this is really fun. I'm having a good time. The other thing is that I, I think I see a lot of speakers don't do and, and you know, everyone's got to find their own voice. I don't want to be on stage being a one-way street. I like a two-way street. So I like, I like improv, meaning that I want things that are unplanned. Like I ask someone a question, I don't know what kind of answer going to get. I want to bring someone on stage. I want the audience to stand up or sit down or do things that are not planned because that kind of keeps it a little fresh for me. And so I, th I think more speakers, uh, and I plan this in my speeches, is like how do I have more of a dynamic with the audience where it's not just them listening? And I find that when they're engaged and 
most people in the crowd think they're actually better than the speaker a lot of the time. I don't know. You ever think that? Sure. No, I, I think, think that all the time. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I think I'm like, dude, the yeah, I think most people think that. And so including them in your speech and making them actually a part of your speeches is a way that they're like, oh yeah, I am part of this. I am as important as a speaker and I'm going to pay a little bit more attention to the messages that he's trying to share, he or she is trying to share. No, I think that's a great point that the audience takes their cues from you. So if you're having a good time, the audience has a good time. If you are, if something happens out of the ordinary and it throws you off and you seem uncomfortable, it makes the audience feel uncomfortable as well. So I think that that there's a lot of truth to that. One thing that you mentioned was you really try hard to come up with some type of action that the audience should take. And I think that's something that you've always been really good about is let's not just talk about something or have a nice little conversation, but like, what are you going to do differently as a result of that? So when you're working on a talk, you're developing the talk, how do you determine what that ideal action is that the audience should be taking? Yeah. So let me just give you specific examples, right? So what's the objective and then how do I get them? I think if you can get them a result during your speech, game change. So I did big Omaha talk why is that a, about... Why is that a game changer? Because most people... I agree, people, I'm just being devil's advocate. No, no, I like it. It's good to question things. I think it's healthy. The more that you can get them a result that impacts their life positively, the more that they're going to like you, the more that you're going to actually be a speaker that they're going to want to hear more from. Because then they're going to tell their friends. It's like, like if you put out a great YouTube video, which I've been trying to do my best on, I think they're great. Like more people are going to just share it. The more they're going to hear you speak. And I think if you can actually get them a result versus a theoretical result, the more they're going to be like, Noah Kagan's great. So a few of the ones I've done that have been really helpful, like a big Omaha, I gave out a worksheet. I think people getting something physical that they can actually take home with them is really helpful. And I had them write down their biggest fear. I think it was like, what's your biggest fear? And then what's one thing you can do today to go change that? Like do today. That was a fun one. I've done one where it's like text someone right now that you're thinking about them and they text someone and they're like, holy crap. Or here's a fun one. You, everyone listening, do this right now. This is a good challenge. Text someone that knows you and say, what is one thing you like about me and one thing you think I can improve? So even your listeners right now are like, oh my God, this Noah guy actually kind of does it. Yeah. And so I did this a few weeks ago to my buddy, JR. And he said, I like that you're sensitive. And I think you could become, you need to work on your dancing and being on time. <laughs> and I was like, that's good feedback. So I've been working on dancing and, you know, it's a work in progress. But, and I'm being on time. I've, I've put, put a lot more effort into it. But the point is, is that like even people listening, to go text someone right now and get that result. I've done it at FinCon where I gave out money. So people were like, oh, wow, he's giving out money. That's different. And I had a few people try to like make money right then. Like I think one guy was a photographer and I tried to get him to make money right then. And same at SumoCon. We did this speech at SumoCon where I wanted people to save money. So I was like, all right, for the next 10 minutes, here are ways you can save money in your business. Go do it right now. And that's what we're going to do for the next 10 minutes. And then I reinforced it by bringing people on stage and being like, what'd you do and what results did you get? And they got tangible results. And I, you know, I think you can ask a lot of people, would they remember my speech? And I think they'd remember like the action parts where they got a real result. And I think generally in my speeches, people also remember stories. That's something that I think people don't think of enough. So when you're working on, let's, let's go down that path for a second. When you're working sure. on stories, how are you determining what stories should go in a talk? What stories make sense? Are you looking for funny stories, serious stories, sad stories? What resonates for you whenever telling a story? I like funny. That's me. Yeah. And I think what's it's more important than funny is just like memorable related to the point, right? So if you told me a story about how one of your kids was doing sports and then someone was mean to her and then your daughter went and hugged them and like the power of being nice to someone else, I'd be like, oh, it's kind of different. And so it's easy for people to remember a story than remember a lesson is what I've noticed from speaking. Like if I say, hey, for marketing, go find your first 10 customers. It's like, okay, 
versus let's bring someone on stage and do that live and have them call a customer right now. Or, hey, you know, when I was starting AppSumo, I went through my contacts list and I put a list of my 10 people and here are the 10, here's that list. And you show them an image of it, like my mom, my grandma, my brother, blah, 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 blah. And that story then is now easier way for them to remember the lesson than then you just telling them like, all right, make a list of 10 people. Right, right. It's kind of like uh, ways that I've found to, to do, to get across the point I want in a more effective manner. Because again, I, I want to reiterate it. Like I have no interest in just going and speaking and like getting paid or speaking and like people walk out and nothing is different. Like that to me is like a waste of the hour. And I, I don't know, do you think about this? I always think like, holy shoot, this one hour is so, I only get one hour to really make a difference right. in this speech. And like, I want that hour to be amazing. I want that hour to be game changing for everyone in there. Otherwise, it's a, it's a waste. Yeah. No, I mean, an hour for that many people, whether it's, you know, you have 50 people in a room or, or 5,000 people in a room, it's a huge honor and responsibility to figure out what can I do? What can I say that's going to make some type of tangible impact in that amount of time? Totally. Well, one thing that, that I want to highlight that I, th- I think you did a good job of and you, and you called me out on is like, well, how are you improving the speech? And so as I have a speech in mind, as I go through like interviews like this, or if I'm at lunch, like I practice different parts of the speech and I talk about different topics of it, not maybe the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And what I'm really looking for is what people are resonating with. Yeah. And you can tell when someone's resonating, like, oh, tell me more about that. And if someone says, tell me more about that, you're onto something. And so that's something that where even though my speech is an hour, it's six months of doing like lunches and, and not necessarily like full practices, but like partial practices. So like, as I'm talking to you today, I get notes that I put down on my stuff to be like, okay, we talked about how am I crafting a speech and which part was interesting to you? And then that'll become a YouTube video or a blog post because I'm looking at what you're resonating with or what I'm like, oh, wow, that's different. Even based on what you're saying to me versus, or what I'm saying to you. Right. You've been doing the, the YouTube videos lately. You've been doing the podcast lately. You've done the, the blog for a while. How important do you think it is for speakers to be doing some type of putting out some type of regular content? I used to discourage people from blogging and podcasting or YouTubing. I'm like, oh, it's a waste. Like, you know, how is this important? How is this really helping your business? And I've, I've changed my opinion on it. I think if you're a professional speaker, I think it's a requirement and only because it really helps you hone the message that matters. So here's like a stupid example. On Twitter, I tweet different like articles and I'll tweet different like quotes of mine or quotes of others. And what I'm doing a lot of the time is what is resonating with people. And then I'll take the messages out of that and that'll become a speech or that'll become another video or that'll become the podcast. And through actually just reviewing what's been happening. That's as I said, like I used to never really review a lot of my work and through the process of review and looking at what's working on YouTube, looking at what's working on, like which blog posts work better than another blog post. Like here's another example. So on Twitter, I tweeted everything impressive takes time. That got like a hundred likes. But I, I did one recently where I said, it's always your responsibility. That got like 20 likes. And it's, dude, I, I, it's not about Twitter. I want all these people, oh, dude, screw Twitter. I hate social media. I, I don't care about that. I care about like, okay, what is responding? What message is resonating? Because that is what I can then take and make a YouTube video about because I know that's what's working. And same on YouTube. As I make these videos, whether you get 10 views or 1,000 or 100,000, what types of content or messages are working? So on YouTube, I made a few different videos. One was like, 10 ways to make your life better. One was a marketing video, 10 marketing things for this year. One was about me going bald. One was about how to make friends with people. I like the bald video because I deal with the same thing. Yeah, dude, the bald thing is, it's real, especially as you get a little older. It's definitely, I've been self-conscious and I've gotten over it. And so what I've learned though, from looking at the data and looking at what people are responding to, either with comments or views or, or whatever, 
you know, comments or views specifically, like engagement. Whenever I talk about marketing, people respond. And whenever I'm focusing on productivity, people respond. And then self-improvement or self-development. So it's like, all right, well, those messages are working. Now let me just focus on those. And then of those, are there specific types of topics? So is it just being bald? Like, what is it about the bald thing that was so responding? Right. And with marketing, is it like, what parts of marketing are working? Uh, and then productivity tips, is it like, okay, they really want more computer productivity or is it their phone or is it just like, what part? And anyways, the point is, is like, that's why I like those other mediums and channels because if you're a speaker, it's like a great practice ground. Like I've been studying comedians mm-hmm. and most of the famous comedians today, like go watch Talking Funny. If you guys haven't watched it, it's free. Go on YouTube, look it up. It's amazing. Most comedians today still do small crappy clubs on their off days as ways to practice. So when you see them on stage in front of a thousand people, it, it's amazing material because they've been honing in what works and doesn't work with less risk. And I think those other mediums are kind of the same kind of con- it's same conceptually. Have you seen the, uh, I've talked about this on the show before, but have you seen the documentary Comedian with Seinfeld? No, how is it? It's amazing. You would like that. So done. The, like the premise. Tell is, me about it. Yeah, the premise is basically like after the show Seinfeld wrapped, he was doing more stand up. And so he's top of his game in terms of popularity and fame, but it's showing him going through a bunch of small clubs and practicing new material and he's bombing. And so it just shows the behind the scenes. It's basically like for comedians, it's like how the sausage is made. You know, they don't just Ooh, do that's a, good. They don't just get up on stage to do a one hour Netflix special and just kill it. Like there's a lot of behind the scenes that happens that leads up to the one hour. So it all leads up to an actual album he recorded several years ago. But it's really, really fascinating just to watch his process and watch behind the scenes on how he like how he's struggling in front of uh, audiences that love him. Dude, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Really yeah I, I, stuff. I think more people in general don't utilize YouTube. My friend, our good buddy Neville from Copywriting Course, 2Ks, copywritingcourse.com. Dude, he watches YouTube every day. I'm like, what are you doing? And he's like, dude, it's a free college. Yeah. You literally can, anyone you admire, any speaker like Grant or myself or any, even, you know, anybody that you want to learn from, they literally have a lifetime of work up there. And what I do is I go watch it and I take notes. Yeah. So I watch some stuff about Warren Buffett and I like have this page of notes that I'm, I don't know, maybe I'll turn into a podcast or YouTube or something, or I just frankly learned it. And I think we kind of stopped learning. And I think YouTube is an, a great place that every day for this week, five days, just go pick one person you want to learn from. And they have, you know, hundreds of hours of things you can learn from. Who are some speakers and comedians that you've been watching and learning from? So Rodney Dangerfield, huge, been learning from him. I just read Steve Martin's book, mm-hmm. really like that. Those two have been a lot lately. Mostly comedians, right? Like how I've been watching Seinfeld stuff, like comedians in cars getting coffee. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of like just basically comedians. I, I think they're a great speaker and they're also entertaining. And sometimes they have good life lessons in their jokes. So Seinfeld, Louis C.K., you know, they're kind of the usuals. There's no one like out of the norm. Cool. Hey, to wrap up, let me ask you one other thing here. You've been in business for a long time. And so you've seen a lot of highs, a lot of lows. What... For speakers who are getting going and going, you know what? This is really freaking hard work. And when you, you know, just talking about like that Seinfeld documentary, I think about it seems easy. You just stand on stage and tell jokes or you just, you know, you put up a website and you sit back and wait for the phone to ring and then you, you go give a speech. But there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes. So as you've built your businesses over the years, like how do you keep from giving up? How do you keep from getting discouraged? How do you keep from throwing in the towel? I do get discouraged. I think people think, oh, Noah's made it. Like it only gets harder and never generally, it generally doesn't get easier. And most people want to keep growing and progressing. Like I, I talked to this guy that works at Sumo with me last night, Bar, and I was like, what do you want to see out of the future? And he, he said this word, he said growth. 
And you could also say the word progress. And sometimes it's hard in the day-to-day of progress. So for me personally, it's finding something that I'm happy to work on whether I'm getting paid or not. And when you're not having a great day, you have to step out and look at the macro. So when your micro is not going well, like I'm not getting speeches, I'm not getting speeches, look at the like 30-day view or six-month view. And you're like, actually, I've been getting speeches and it's going better. A good example, I think, for a lot of people out there, especially if they're starting, is my buddy JR. And I'm really proud of him. He worked at Cisco, a corporate job. He still works there. He's been there like 12 years now or some since I've known him. And I've done the startup life. And JR finally has always wanted to have his own business. And he's always wanted to do something with film. And so he just committed to making one film a week for 90 days. And my suggestion for everyone out there is that if you want to be successful as a speaker, commit for a year to speaking once a month. And it could be in front of one person, it could be in front of 10, it could be in front of 100. But if you do that for a year, after a year, you will get what you want, but you have to commit. And so JR has been doing that. And after the 90 days, he realized like, oh my gosh, like all these local restaurants want films. And so now he's busy as heck. He found his niche doing film, like kind of like uh, Emerald Lagasse or whatever these kind of food network shows for local businesses in Austin. And he committed to it. He made a habit out of it. And then he found what worked and did more of that. And, you know, he likes doing film. And so I want to discourage people that think, oh, you can speak and just make money and it's going to be easy because you're going to have to go through some ups and downs. And the biggest thing about it is you got to persist on whatever you're, you're trying to accomplish. And then you've got to iterate, meaning look at what's working and then do more of that. Like maybe speaking to synagogues is your jam or churches or speaking to like restaurant owners or certain topics yeah. and be open to that and keep persisting with that. Yeah, I think it's a good point that you, I think oftentimes when people are starting in something, whether it's speaking or whatever, that we feel like I have to know what the next 20 years look like. And I know exactly who I'm going to speak to and what I'm going to speak about. And that's going to be it forever and ever. Amen. When in reality, like I can see a few feet in front of me and I'm going to, I'm going to roll with that. And then six months or a year from now, it may look totally different, but I'm, I'm picking a point to start with and taking action on that. Dude, so many people don't realize that any major company that you use or like today, if you're like, oh, I love Amazon or I love Facebook or I love you know this grocery store <laughs> or I love my bank, whatever it is, Chase, who knows? Like they've taken a hundred years to get where they are. Yeah. And where they started is not where they are today, right? Like the first like Apple iPod is pretty different than AirPods. The thing is, that, I don't know if you use those, by the way. I'm not going to get you those. I'll get you the Echo because I think that'll be uh, <laughs> cooler to start. But like that, they didn't say when they started Apple, oh, we're also going to make these wireless headphones. And I think people have too much expectation of like, well, it's not a big enough market. And I'm like, dude, don't worry about that. That's why you're psyching yourself out and you haven't gotten started because you're worrying about that. Yeah, yeah. So you just got to get something started and then keep evolving with it. Doesn't mean you got to change every week. It means you've got to pick something and then evolve over time. And I think too many people kind of wait around thinking that they'll plan, plan, plan. And then the world changes or they put out their plan and no one actually wants it. So if, if I was to speak, it's actually an interesting question, Grant. Like if I started today, but I don't know anything or like I haven't built any businesses or maybe I have, like maybe I've built businesses and now I decide like my friend Tom who runs Quest Bars, he wants to be a speaker and wants to get his message out there. So it's like, if you've been working in some area, how would you become a speaker today? And that's kind of, it's an interesting thought to, to go through. What's your thought on it? Damn it. I didn't want to answer it. I just wanted to leave it at that and let, <laughs> let it cliffhang. Rhetor- rhetorical question for parts. I would say a few things. Well, I mean, we could leave it at that and then have people look forward to a next episode if they're interested. I'll give him a tease. How about that? All right. So I've been building businesses and working on startups for 17 years now. And I'd say the two biggest, or let's just, let me just give you one teaser thing that you should just automatically do if you're, if you haven't done speaking or you want to be a speaker, start planting your seeds today. 
So what does that mean? Start growing your audience or email list of people that would be interested in you or people that would be interested in hosting you, like conference organizers. Start building that network today. So either A, start building an email list. And an email list doesn't, you don't have to even sign up for MailChimp or any service that costs money. An email list could be just you send them an email through your Gmail or Hotmail. That's an email list. Or start a Facebook group, right? Whatever that is. Just start a group of people that want to hear from you or go to conferences that you think you'd want to speak at in the future, maybe in five years or one year or two years, and befriend the organizer and offer to help them and suggest a specific help. Like, hey, can I help man the door, woman the door? Or can I help you organize your speakers in the future? Or can I help promote the conference? Or can I do anything? And start building a relationship with the people who make the decision about speakers. Yeah, yeah. And plant those seeds today. And you know the other stuff, I mean, we maybe in another episode can talk about how to go from zero to $1,000 in making speaking in 30 days or less. Hashtag tease. Booyah. All right, dude. Hey, if, if people, <laughs> there you go. If people want to find out more about you. If you want to learn more about me, go to, on your phone. If you're listening to this podcast, check out the Noah Kagan Presents podcast. If you want to read more of my stuff, okdork.com. If you want to watch my face, which a few people seem to like, it's on YouTube, Noah Kagan. And then for my business stuff, where the company I help run, there's AppSumo, which is Groupon for Geeks. And then sumo.com, which is free tools to grow your email list, which if you're starting your speaking career, you can just get the emails and then choose some email provider at a later point whenever you're ready. Yeah, for sure. All good stuff and uh, all good content that you do. We were talking a little bit offline beforehand that uh, you just started the podcast recently and I've listened to a bunch of the episodes. It's solid stuff. So I definitely encourage people to uh, go check it out. I've listened to like half of them. Yeah, it's surprising. You know, I will say as I've gotten older, I used to never want to listen to my stuff again. And I think it's kind of the same concept with we don't like looking at ourselves in the mirror. Sure. Do you actually, do you like it? I, I'm getting better at it, but it's hard, I think, for people. Yeah, I mean, admittedly, I don't go back and listen to many of the episodes I do. So I think you should. I, no, I listen actually occasionally. One, I think you should think about which episodes you're listening to again and why. And so for me, when I started this, I did the same thing. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm only saying for myself. Like I would make an episode be like, all right, that's good. And then I had an interview with one of my guests, which was David Cadavy. And he was like, oh, I listened to my episodes five times. Cause that is the only way he's going to make his episodes better. Yeah. And when I started doing that now, like I just put out one with Mike Posner, I've probably listened to it three times and every episode I've listened to at least twice. And it helps me kind of understand. So as you're doing a speech or pretty much anything that you want to be a master of, just you have to review your work and you have to have other people that you admire or hold you higher standards, review your work. Yeah. And if you're not listening to it again, there's probably a sign that you didn't really, in my mind, you didn't really like it. Because I, th- I think like these, some of these episodes I've done or even YouTube videos, I watched these YouTube videos like the one about going bald. And I was like, man, that's a great video. But I put out a video about how to make friends with people and I couldn't watch any of it. I'm like, this sucks. And it's kind of one of these things in life where I think you have to face the things that suck. So like going on the scale when you feel fat. Sure. That's, that's my easy example. I always go on the scale when I feel fat. That's kind of a funny one. <laughs> I go on the scale to feel fat because I'm like, you know what? You're fat. You're fat, dude. And go face it. Now I'll fix this crap. Right. And with that video, I don't watch it all. And, I, it's, and I, it's like, okay, well, why am I not watching it all? And how do I fix that so I can watch it all? Yeah. And that's how you're going to become like, the best in the world. Beautiful. Mic drop. All right, dude. We appreciate the time. Appreciate you being here. Dude, why don't you come down to Austin? We'll play disc golf together. Dude, you come man. down here. I don't know if I'm going to go to FinCon. Come down. When is FinCon? I don't know. Say I'm goodbye. Okay. Okay, bye. 
All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Noah Kagan. Just a good dude, fun dude. He's just a uh, just a little ball of energy, that little that silly Noah. Hey, uh, again, let me remind you, if you haven't already, you definitely want to stop by freespeakerworkshop.com, freespeakerworkshop.com. Check out some of the free training that we have there, teaching you all about how to find and book paid speaking engagements. So make sure you check that out. Again, that's over at freespeakerworkshop.com. All right, that wraps up today's episode, boys and girls. We'll catch you next time. You're awesome.